I've got one! Hello, this is the Proper Job Gradcast. We're on episode 12. That's right, this is the 12th episode. And I'm starting to get a tiny bit bored with the standard things I have to say at the beginning of a, an episode. So I'm going to mix it up here by saying all the normal stuff, but trying to put the intonation in really weird places. So let's let's see how that goes. I'm Ollie Double. I'm a lecturer at the University of Kent. And this is the Proper Job Gradcast, in which we explore how a degree in drama can lead to all kinds of exciting... I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm going to just do it normally. I'm Ollie Double. I'm a lecturer at the University of Kent, and this is the Proper Job Gradcast, in which we explore how a degree in drama can lead to all kinds of exciting careers in the arts. This will be of interest to you if you're thinking of studying drama at Kent or you are currently studying drama at Kent or you're just interested in interesting stuff. In every episode, I interview a Kent drama graduate working in the arts. And this time I'm talking to San Marley, who works at Kiln Theatre in Kilburn, London. So the last couple of episodes we had have been focusing on acting as a profession I thought it'd be good to go back to other kinds of things that you can go on to do after you graduate and talk about uh, a production slash backstage role. And San fits the bill perfectly for that and advocates very strongly and very articulately for that kind of work, the, the value of that kind of work. And she talks about all kinds of interesting stuff in this episode. For example, inclusivity of the arts. What's it like being a person of colour working in the arts? She talks about the, the difference between getting on the ladder in terms of careers and going up the ladder. It's quite an interesting way of thinking about it. I'm just going to say that there are some noise warnings I'm going to give you now about this episode because there's some right rum noises there. There's like you will hear in the course of this episode, you will hear um, you will hear breathing. You will hear the noise of a seagull. You will hear a door creaking and all kinds of crazy other noises. Sorry about that. It's just uh, recording in lockdown sometimes leads to these kind of things. There's a siren at one point. That's quite exciting in the background. Um, and also, the, um, San was brilliant in the conversation, uh, but one of the things I always do is edit the conversation to make it as tight as possible, c cutting out as many of the ums and ers and silences as possible, you know, the long pauses and so on, to try and make the thing flow as well as possible so that you enjoy listening to it. But there were some bits where either me or San sort of, you know, kind of went slightly wrong and then that was part of the conversation. It was so much part of the conversation that I decided to leave it in to give it, you know, a, a bit more sort of human feel to the conversation. So listen out for that. And also just to say that San, I, I said, was brilliant and she was. I mean, for example, she talks about how managing someone's diary as part of your job is really great if you're nosy. And she also talks about how she's never worked for free because she doesn't really believe in um, unpaid internships, which so that's a really interesting and I think very valid argument there. That's all I'm going to say now. So I'm going to hand you over now to San Marley. So I'm San and I graduated in 2014. Okay, brilliant. And uh, so the next big question is, uh, what is your current job and what kind of things do you do as part of that job? 
So my current role, I'm at the Kiln Theatre and I'm the production administrator there. So I work between the production department and the general manager. General manager, I think, with it across the industry has loads of different roles. Um, and But in this particular context, I mean producing, like kind of producing focus general manager. And so in terms of what I do, so with the production department, their job and their remit is to like work with designers to help realize their concepts and to like actually deal with the physical delivery of all of the designs that involves working with a lot of people we get about 15 20 people on as like production or fit up staff on each show that we work on so they deal with the physical designs and making things the actual making of things whereas I deal with the humans and getting people in and then with the general manager that's again quite people focused so we work with the creatives to make sure that they can do whatever they need to do we let them be creative and um, by trying to facilitate everything else that needs to be sorted so that they don't need to think about admin and so a few of the things I've been working on for this week for example are we have rehearsals starting next week for the first time after a year and so just making sure that rehearsal room is ready and everyone feels safe from like just making sure there's materials in there to the kind of journey in terms of making sure that we're COVID safe to then checking the availability of some assistant directors for a show that we've got coming up later in the year and then the the next show after that I've just been bringing together all of the creators to put together a storyboard meeting for that particular play so working from kind of concept to delivery is the remit of my role. Fantastic. So could I pick up on a couple of things there? Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, uh, for those people who don't know it, I mean, the Kiln Theatre's, I think, quite a big deal. I mean, it's it's a theatre with a long and honourable history in Kilburn, uh, and it was it was formerly the Tricycle Theatre, that's right, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah, that's um, right. So, so, so I, I just, yeah, how exciting was it when you got to, to, to work at the Kiln? It was super exciting, um, partly because, and I think this kind of relates to the networking that we do, that we don't realise that we're doing. So uh, at one point I worked at the National Theatre and um, Indu Rubasingham, who's the artistic director of the Now Kiln, um, directed a few shows whilst I was there. So I bumped into her a few times and really liked her. Um, and so that relationship, having bumped into her a few times just throughout my career and and uh, like for having that relationship with her and then actually getting to work there has been really great and then I think having like now actually working there the change from it being the tricycle to the kiln it used to receive some shows whereas now it's a solely producing house and we're always doing new work so that in itself is really exciting as well and um, just constantly working with new scripts and the the, the challenges and really exciting things that that throws up but in practice of the places that I've worked I have to say that the kiln is so committed to serving its community and the work is really exciting. Yeah well I was going to say that was the other thing I was going to pick up on I mean just describing what you're working on at the moment sounds amazing so you, your job is really varied and it's sort of as you say sort of it's about facilitating so you get to work with creative people all the time and so it's partly about organisation and partly about people skills is that right? Yeah exactly that so so you know it's, it's very interesting that that uh because i mean one of the things that i think people enjoy about jobs is when there's variety within it and you get different kinds of challenge yeah and i so i think one of the things that i've always done actually is that there are i think in the roles that i've done so far there are certain things that are super practical so just getting into the auditorium and figuring out 
seat by seat where is actually one meter plus at the moment or what we feel like in terms of the seating capacity we can actually handle so there's certain things that you just kind of get up on your feet and then other times I will be so other times I'll be just incredibly desk-based as it were um and so that for recently for example where we've announced our season actually like a lot what a lot of what I've been doing has been generating contracts for future productions so you get that and suddenly yeah, so that's like a some of the variety you get there and then you also get the the dealing with people and I think in this last year especially when part of the reasons to why people love working in theatre is because we're there in person watching something happen live and that god knows why but that has this magic to it that we all love and can't get enough of and then having the pandemic and suddenly having to do everything remotely took some real adjustment and I think it's quite exciting now to see how we'll be balancing this getting people together in a safe way and also now with the kind of balance of also now respecting people's boundaries but yeah there's there's a lot of variety um in terms of the remit of the role and also the people that you're facing whether that's audiences or creatives or production staff and presumably COVID's, I mean, it is that challenge of trying to create social distance within a, because I think when the kiln was rebuilt, it, its audience capacity went up a bit, it went up to 290 or something. Is that right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, about that. Um, <laughs> and then now we'll be reducing it by about third uh, yeah. for the next few shows. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like you say, it's that magic, isn't it, of something happening right there in front of you in the same space as you. And, and the fact that we're hopefully, fingers crossed, able to sort of start moving back into that is incredibly mm. exciting. Uh, yeah, it is. And just getting, I think it's super exciting and getting ready for the building to reopen is almost like trying to remember how to do my job again. This last year has been, I was kind of uh redeployed almost and did some work within some HR work because I've got experience in that some work for the creative engagement department so it's really good for getting to know the rest of the organization but now as I prepare for rehearsals next week there are certain it's like starting a new job in a way and just trying to remember that and then I think but the thing is for everyone it does feel very much that way and so there's a part of going well got to make sure that payroll set up so that all of the cast get paid there's no room for error there but there are other places where if we forget it's okay we'll figure it out and we're all so great at doing that the show must go on so yeah I think we're all just very excited and very nervous and also now that we're being around humans again it's like equally thrilling and exhausting all the time at the same time so it's quite a it's quite an interesting time to be in the industry yeah absolutely i can imagine it is so my next question is you you're working in this this really interesting job with lots of different challenges and and sort of uh, very sort of stimulating set of activities that you that you're involved in so big question you've sort of started alluding to it a little bit already but how did you get from graduating in 2014 to where you are now how did you, how did that what was that journey like so I feel like there's two parts of that journey which are actually getting onto the ladder and then like going up the ladder and so I'll start with getting up the ladder in that I started on an internship through creative access I don't know if people have heard about them but check them out they offer internships within creative industries as a whole not just theatre so I started at the National Theatre of all places in the director's office on an internship. And that was also just a very strange time because it was under new leadership and it's led by Rufus Norris, but he had just taken over. 
so it's a huge period of change and actually it changed and I didn't realize that actually everyone else is really discombobulated by it all whereas that was all I knew um, I ended up being there for three years in the end and stepped up to become I managed Rufus's diary at one point but in the end for a few years I managed the executive director and joint CEO her name's Lisa Berger I managed her diary for a couple of years and that gave me this massive insight to a really huge organization and I was just a bit like I don't really know what to do with this information but it's really great if you're nosy because you're just constantly having to stay on top of everything to deal to do with leading this huge organization and making sure that your charge knows where they need to be at all times and what they need to be prepared for and you can just be taking them to a meeting and they're going oh my god what's happening what do I need to say what are the key points and so it's this very kind of all-powerful all-knowing position um and was the most amazing foundation to the industry that I can't believe I got but such a good experience then I was like I don't know what to do with all of this knowledge and experience so and the scale of the National Theatre is huge you just kind of can't believe how it operates at times and I think I very much know that I like to I'd like to know how things work so then a job came up at the Armada Theatre called General Administrator and that role was kind of handling the HR for the organisation the HR and the operations and so that way I learned how things work at a much smaller organisation. So the NT has like a thousand employees and I think the Almeida has about a hundred, not quite that. So then I was dealing with the operations and the HR. And while I was there, I did some really exciting things. Like, well, in fact, I've done this at both the Kiln and the Almeida, but I've overhauled their recruitment policies to try and make them much more accessible. Um, and that'll be from my experience of trying to get onto the ladder has come from but having to try and just trying to make workplaces much more friendly is, is ultimately what I started trying to do there um, and I think a lot of HR and working with people is trying to get people to do what they can to just be more inclusive and be better um, so that gets tiring after a while because you're ultimately asking people to do uh, to go against the grain so then after kind of figuring out the operations of it all and how that building ran and and, and how each department ran and especially because I worked on recruitment for all of those departments as well, I got to work with each manager and get a relationship with each department quite closely, work with each department quite closely. So then I was like, oh, well, I want to learn more about the productions, at which point a job at the kiln came up. And that's led me to where I am now. And then in terms of getting onto the ladder, so I graduated in 2014 and I got my job at the, at the NT in May 2015. And it was about... 10 months of job hunting that I was doing I stayed in Canterbury um, it wasn't an option for me to go home and I had a job at Cafe Nero and so I, I stayed there with a couple of other people that had graduated and I have to admit it was a really dark time we were all applying for jobs it was tough but we managed to keep each other sane throughout it yeah so there was that in terms of getting onto the ladder the things that helped me with my application that eventually got me the role at the ENT were that I Pretty much from our second year onwards, I worked at Cafe Nero, and by the time that we graduated, I was assistant manager. So then that's kind of where my early HR experience came from, because I was involved with staffing and training, as well as kind of like all of the staff and just making sure that they were where they needed to be and doing what they needed to do. So as much as that was such a fun job to do, because it meant that that's it, I can't think about my essays now, it was actually a really good learning experience. And then through the many... School of Arts emails that I sometimes just ignored 
this really random one came up offering an internship that what initially looked like it was for Santander, but it just turns out it was funded for Santander. The reason I'm pointing, saying going into this much detail is because those emails need attention and give really amazing opportunities and we shouldn't be delighted in them. But um, the, it was actually an internship for a company called Year One Consulting who had been Kent students and they were a HR consultancy firm for creative industries and higher education. So then I got this internship through them um, and that kind of got me through the first summer and then I ended up continuing to do just a bit of ad hoc work for them. So that experience is kind of what set me apart, having done things outside of my degree in terms of my applications. The other thing I want to say is that I never worked for free. Everything I did got paid for. It was never an option for me to not be paid because I didn't have anyone else to pay for me ultimately. And so if ever anyone thinks that you can't get into the industry without doing free work, it's not true. You really need to kind of uh, speak to your value and, and stand up for yourself and advocate for yourself. But it is absolutely possible to do it without working for free, although I appreciate that people do. That is such a good answer. And there's so much in there that I thought was was incredibly important. And, and some of it, you know, is, is unlike anything any of the other interviewees have said so mm. far and really, really useful. Could I pick up on a few things? Yeah, of course. Great. So uh, first of all, uh, the accessibility thing. So that's really important because what you're talking about is, I mean, it's, it's a big issue, right, in the news at the moment about, for example, um, wealthy people being overrepresented in the arts and things like that. But of course, there are other forms of inequality as well uh, to do with sort of gender, um, ethnicity and things like that. How much, how much is that an important issue for you? It's, yeah, quite a substantial thing. And I have, I think many, so I've only worked at national portfolio organisations, so they are funded by the Arts Council and they get guaranteed funding for kind of three year periods. And so the reason I'm mentioning that is because I'm not sure when they introduced it, but all NPOs now need to have an equalities action plan. Some people could say that's a bit problematic because ideally it should be coming from the top anyway, rather than from the funder. However, and I've seen, I've seen places where it's worked really well because it has come from the top and places where actually it's, it's not that great. So it's a very white industry. When I think about the roles that I have done um, and more administrative, it's quite a, a woman heavy industry in that, depending on where you are, but the roles that I've done. Um, so you've got lots of white women who are well-meaning, but actually end up saying the wrong things all of the time. It's exhausting. And part of the thing that I've done through that is just, I've naturally built this network of people who look like me. And at the NT, had an amazing time there, but the what made me different did weigh down, like weigh me down at points. And so there are basically a few black and brown people around the building and you would see us kind of spot each other. And then we became this kind of group that met at lunchtimes and helped each other. And I think it's become more formalized now. And I'm sure that they do have groups for people who've been racialized as well as other demographics who've been othered so that there's different support groups. Support groups is the wrong word, but networks that are there. At the Almeida, much of my role, because I was handling the HR of the organisation, was very much to do with asking people to, to ultimately try and be better and be more inclusive. The thing that I now take forward from this in terms of my message to anyone that I will speak to about it within the places that I've worked is ultimately I ask people to ask what being inclusive means or what that word means to them. And generally the answers are if, if you're in an inclusive environment, you feel safe, you feel respected, you feel heard. 
you feel appreciated and then just asking people to reflect on what they've been doing in the last week to make people feel that way and what could they have done to make people feel that way I think once we start asking that question of ourselves we start ultimately start asking what we do to be better and we actually realize how much of a responsibility we have because I think when I first started my job like first I'd work in the industry I didn't I felt like I had to advocate for myself but I didn't re- I didn't feel comfortable doing that so what actually what I mean is I now feel like and I say to everyone else that's early in the industry to advocate for themselves and to ask is like just if you don't ask you don't get that's not great though really and so if everyone takes responsibility for creating a really safe and inclusive environment we feel able to ask for more to be able to do more we have those really uncomfortable conversations where we then can do things differently and if you are in an inclusive environment you feel you feel safe to challenge and you don't even feel like you're challenging you feel like you're just expressing an opinion and you know it's being heard so I think that conversation around access and inclusivity to me is really important and I think now in terms of the future places that I work it's it's a question that I will ask at interview. Fantastic so I mean actually what 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 it comes down to is something you said a a bit earlier which is that you wanted it to be like you'd have liked it to be when you first started. Yeah exactly that. So, so it comes from you. In other words, it's not a top-down thing. It's not a, a, a kind of thing because of the funders. It's because you. this is a mission for you. It's a real thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah, I agree. And actually, I think you saying it back to me in that way is a really helpful way to me to think about it. The reason I mentioned that the funders is, I guess, because everywhere you go, it's like organisations are aware of it and are trying to do better. But there, there, is, um, there are places that are authentically trying to do better and there are places that are trying to do better because they feel like they have to yeah and the the difference in the way that you're treated and and the difference with what they put out on social media even is is really clear I think if you're if you're looking for it and if you're aware of it I I think that's yeah because I think what it comes down to is uh to put it in slightly um highfalutin terms it's intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation in other words you know you you've you've got somebody telling you you know it's the game you have to play versus actually this is a game I absolutely want to play yeah uh, I think that's really really important and then the other thing that that came out of that and actually it's it's sort of come out more in in your answer to the to the question about accessibility is about networking because it strikes me that networking has been important for you all the way through so it was there it was it was there for you that dark time after graduation where you didn't know how to find your place in the world just your housemates supporting each other Mm. and so on and then it was there when you met um the kilns um artistic director when you were at at the national and then it's there in terms of finding other people of color to sort of talk to and share experiences and i guess great you know gain mutual strength from Mm. yeah i think Again, when I was earlier in the industry and much shyer, I think networking was this really dirty word and I felt like it had to be, I felt like only extroverts were good at networking and I naturally am introverted and I, I feel a lot of, I guess I, I feel a lot of shame when it comes to trying to, net, what, in my version of what networking was, to, to put myself out there and to try and get people to see how good I am. But then actually I I realized that when I'm doing my job in a way I'm networking if I do a brilliant job then people will see that I'm doing a really great job and then they'll want to work with me if I'm reliable people are going to come to me for things so 
yeah I, I used to be very intimidated about, about networks but then I did about networking but now I realize it is such a crucial thing and I think one thing that I've learned that I didn't really appreciate back then is if I was ever asking anyone for a chat I felt like that was such an onus on them but people are so happy to talk about themselves and share what they have to share like you just have to ask them a question and they're so up for it so um, and then following up on that and just actually checking in on people or letting them know how you're doing people do it now now in my current role because we work with so many freelancers actually they really rely on networking and I see people do it in a way that is so informal and so professional and not a burden which is exactly what I thought I was being so um, yeah to anyone that is nervous about networking actually it's so much less intimidating than I thought it would be because I think part of it is, isn't it? I mean, I, I absolutely share that feeling of not wanting to network in mm. inverted commas, capital letters, because it felt like such a sort of cynical exercise. But actually networking is just about getting to know other humans, really. Yeah. And and then sort of being able to sort of turn to them for help and advice and also offer help and advice when somebody turns to you for that. I mean, it's it seems it's actually a nice process rather than a cynical process. It is. And then the networks that I've built, like much more organically than I thought would happen, have been really handy groups of people to be able to get in touch with throughout my time. So whether that's if I'm trying to apply for a job at a new place and just trying to see what people know about it, or if it's just a, hey, look, I'm dealing with this really weird challenge at work, what do other people think? And I think naturally as well, depending on where you work and depending on the size of the organisation. So where I am at the moment at the kiln, there's just a group of us administrators who will catch up every month or so and we'll just check in make sure that we're all communicating across our departments anyway, but also it's just a chance for, because we all have such varied experience and years of experience, just making sure that we're kind of teaching each other where we can. So yeah, I think that works really great. You studied drama at Kent. So what, if anything, did you, did you learn at Kent when you were studying drama that you use in your career now? It's really hard for me to think about particular things that I learned. But it's worth saying that the reason that I chose the drama course at Kent is because I knew I didn't, well, there are lots of people on the course that wanted to perform. I knew that I didn't want to perform, but I know that I'm very organised and I felt like this was the right course for that. The course aside, whilst I was there, I did some work for Moving Memory, the company run by Jane Thompson and Sean Stevenson. So again, there's that kind of network and being able to work with those guys. And then also just this the stuff that I touched on earlier is the the experience that I got to have being in, in Canterbury um, of having that job over the few years that built up my experience that kind of got me to, uh, that set me apart from other candidates and the opportunities that would come through that through the School of Arts email. Oh, by the way, I need to put in a thing there. It's, does it, it, it doesn't happen by email happen? anymore. No, all it is, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's a Facebook group now. So School Fine. of Arts, what it's they need the to do is... Yeah, it is School of, School of Arts Opportunities Facebook page. <laughs> so that's how we do it now. Because they because that's the thing, they do tend to ignore email. They get too many of them, basically. Mm. Um, so, but yes, checking that is a good tip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Check that those opportunities. The mo the most random things will come through, and I definitely did do some. Like I ended up performing for some third years at some point in a random old place on the high street. But yeah, I just I think the course, as well as everything else I got to do on top of the course, is which kind of came through the School of Arts were 
one of the reasons that I was able to kind of get jobs and stuff once I'd graduated. And again, I think what's lovely about what you just said is it's that thing of kind of going, there are opportunities here, so let's take them. And then what you're doing is, as well as the networking thing, you're building up your portfolio of experience. So rather than just sitting back and expecting yeah. all to happen for you, you're going out there and doing stuff with Steve, Jay Thompson and, and uh, Sean Stevenson and so on. Uh, and, and, there, and weird shows in, in an old building on <laughs> Canterbury High Street. And all of that yeah. is building your experience. Yeah, and all of which I did reference. And then actually the other thing that I've thought about it is um, I really hated group work at times. But I think everyone does when you have to do it so much. But actually the experience that that gave me to be able to talk about when I was applying for jobs, as well as when I was in the workforce, getting to know all of these very strange personalities and how they all how they all worked differently. I had worked with a with a bunch of drama weirdos for the last four years. And actually, I was very good at being able to kind of learn how people are different and how they work best. And definitely one of my strengths now is that I'm, I guess I'm just quite adaptable and able to work with anyone because I'm so attuned to figuring out how people work, how best they like information. And when you're dealing with creatives who are freelance, who are like freelance by nature, working on a million different projects at one time and all of them work differently, it's a real asset. So I have one more question to ask. Uh, This is called the proper job gradcast because People people think if you do a subject like drama, you're never going to get, quotes a proper job. Uh, so what would you say to people who say that studying drama at university won't lead to a proper job? Before that, sorry, another thing that I got from Kent is that careers clinic, is that what it is called? They, uh, they got them to check my CV quite a few times in applications whilst I was applying for jobs in that dark eight months to eight, ten months. And they were really helpful in making sure that my job was like th- that my CV was good. And that most importantly, that I was advertising myself as someone that was as a worker with experience rather than a student who had just graduated. I think our Mm -hmm. careers department is amazing. And I've worked with them quite a lot over the last couple of years. And what's brilliant is you expect a university careers department not to know anything about creative jobs, but they're actually quite good at knowing about creative jobs. And also you can use them for up to three years after graduating. And then to answer your question about people that say it's not a proper job. So... That question is a reflection upon the person who is asking it. There are so many different jobs within the industry. We need kind of accountants and HR specialists, but then we also need lighting programmers and creative engagement facilitators. Like there are so many different jobs available. And so I just think that anyone that thinks it's not a proper job is actually expressing their own ignorance. I think one people one reason that people feel like it's not a proper job is actually because our industry relies heavily upon freelancers. And I think 70% of the creative industry's workforce as a whole, so I include museums, TV, film within that, is made of 70% of freelancers. Uh, yeah, with freelance. This entire industry is made of, I can't seem to make the sentence work, Ollie. <laughs> of the creative industries are freelancers. And when I say the creative industries, I mean people working in TV, film, theatre, music, PR. So it's a huge industry that relies heavily on freelancers. And I think for me, um, being salaried was important because I'd grown up around financial instability. But I work with freelancers all the time and they are constantly working. I think to me, being self-employed was quite daunting but people get to do so many broad and varied things and work with different people and more broad and varied than the work that I'm doing already. So it's actually, I think 
yeah there are loads of proper jobs and there's so much freedom and flexibility within it that there's so much to be embraced yeah that's brilliant that's a great little edit point at the end so much to be embraced <laughs> boom that's the punchline <laughs> <laughs> thank you i'm going to stop recording now what i really like about this episode is that i think san is great at explaining how she overcame the challenges of getting established in the arts and progressing within an arts career. And I, I particularly think this could be summed up with when she says, I felt like only extroverts were good at networking. And of course, that's not true at all. Networking isn't a kind of horrible, cynical thing. It's, as we said in the conversation, it's something that we all do all the time anyway, so you might as well make it work for you. I also think all the stuff about valuing yourself um, and daring to ask for things is important. I think that what she's mentioned about creative access is really important. So creative access is an organization. I'm going to read you from their website. Now our mission is to support talented people from groups that are underrepresented in terms of ethnicity, socioeconomic background or disability or facing significant barriers to employment, not just to enter the creative industries, but to thrive when they get in. And obviously, that's an incredibly important thing. So, you know, if, if you're the sort of person who would benefit from the work of creative access, then look them up. All I did to find their website was look up the words, believe it or not, creative access, put those into Google, and there I was. So, yeah, that's important. Uh, I, I like the stuff about inclusivity, talking about wanting to make the industry more inclusive and more accepting of, for example, people of colour and make sure they're not as underrepresented as they have been historically. And doing that, not because you you have to, not because the funder's telling you, but because that's the right thing to do, which of course it is. Other things that I think were really important uh, in what San says, I, I think, I, right, a lot of drama students find group work challenging and people can fall out and sometimes it's it could be a pain and there's that person who doesn't turn up or perhaps you're the person who doesn't turn up and you're fed up of the people hassling you about it, whatever it, it might be. But group work is really important because it's part of life and I think what, what San says about her experience of doing group work at Kent furnishing her with the skills she needs those people skills she needs to use in her job i think is really important and finally if you are a current kent drama student she does mention uh, getting emails about opportunities well we don't do that anymore what we do instead is have a facebook group called school of arts opportunities so if you're on facebook join that group and lots and lots of things come up there in fact we'll be advertising this podcast on there which we do every episode okay that's all for this episode. I'll be back with you uh, for another one very, very soon. Got to, got to get a job.